Then I was well. Okay, what's the deal? Introduce yourself to the people. My name is Caleb Stevens. <clears throat> I'm a I have a PhD. I'm a therapist and an adolescent addictions counselor. Okay. And what are all your degrees in? Because you have a bachelor's and a master's too, right? Right. Now, so I have a bachelor's degree in social work. I have a master's degree in social welfare. And I have a PhD in performance studies where I, uh, my program's title was Activism as Performance. And I know about that one because I, I helped participate. That's right. In that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I, uh, whenever I talk to people about intelligence, I always tell them about that experience and how I just felt like I didn't know anything. I was just like, what, what do these words even mean? <laughs> Me every day. <laughs> okay, so your job, your, your job title, what, is, what exactly does that mean? What do you do in that position? Um, well, actually, I have my own private practice, so I'm an intersectional clinician. So what that means is that I um, utilize Kimberly Crenshaw's understanding of intersectionality, the way that different people's um, lives and identities fold into each other and overlap and interact. Um, and I am a mental health therapist. So what I do is I have clients, um, a lot of clients that are on the medical cards, some clients that are private pay. Um, and I just, I have sessions with them throughout the week. And was there a reason that you wanted a private practice? Yes. So my private practice is set up to only serve Black, Brown, and Indigenous peoples. Um, I'm one of the only Black male, cishet male therapists in Lawrence or the surrounding areas, really, um, that's under the age of 40, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that people that don't look like us need us as therapists when there are so few uh, Black therapists. That makes sense. And uh were there experiences in your lifetime that, that led you to choosing that? Like, did your childhood or, or whatever lead you to your profession and being specific like that in your profession? Yeah, actually. Uh, so I was a therapy my whole life. Um, I, was, I always had white therapists. Uh, and specifically with social work, my interaction actually started way earlier than I realized because I think a lot of people interact with social workers and don't really know that they're social workers. For instance, when I was in elementary school and would struggle, uh, they would have me go eat lunch with my man, Mr. Nelson. And mm. I was like, man, I really like this guy. He's really nice. I go sit in his office, we eat and talk and kind of process through what's going on. And, you know, 25 years later, I was like, wait, he was a social worker. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as I moved into college, and things like that, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I want to do social work, because that was really helpful, and he was the first Black social worker, like, Black uh, therapeutic influence that I had in my life that I remember that was consistent, um, and actually created change in my life, and so Mr. Nelson was definitely the catalyst for that, and I, and I had terrible experiences in therapy, very much, like, trying to reprogram me, not getting to the root of anything, just mm. trying to um, help me to adhere to compliance, Mm. Mm. And so what are you supposed to use therapy for? I, I genuinely don't know anything about therapy. So if, I, if I'm trying to convince someone that they need therapy or they should seek it out or whatever, what are you supposed to go to therapy for? I mean, that's a really good question. I think that what we see in social media and what we see on like in films and movies, you know, stuff like that, 
even on the radio when people talk about therapy, but I think that you can go to therapy for anything. Um, you don't have to be doing bad to go to therapy. Um, you can want additional supports. Therapy is supposed to be um, a conversation that is supportive, helps you to build, um, to build short and long-term goals. It helps you to modify some behaviors that are maladaptive, meaning that they're not helpful to you um, in what you want to pursue. Uh, and also therapy is for when things are going really bad. Um, they mm. can be a safe space where people can share some of their deepest, darkest secrets, pains, abuse, trauma, um, hurts, fears. Um, things like that and also like share the things that they love and want to pursue and be able to wrap themselves in um, and your therapist should be gassing you up and also be validating <laughs> and affirming you like that's really a really important part of uh, therapy specifically and especially with non-white people mm. and non-cishet people honestly yeah that's cool man um so I wanted to get back to what you specifically do, because you said you deal with uh, addiction, right? Um, yeah, in my previous position, as I was an adolescent addictions counselor. Oh, but you don't do that anymore? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, there are a lot of co-occurring uh, disorders, so addiction, behavioral addiction, and, uh, and like uh, substance abuse disorders are usually co-occurring as we're trying to cope with uh, the mental illnesses that we are experiencing. So you're saying people have one thing going on and they turn to drugs for to, to, to try to help themselves with whatever they're dealing with. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's very human to not want to be in pain. And mm -hmm. so for me, what I do when I'm in pain is I don't I don't do cocaine. I don't smoke crack like I don't do any of those things. Um, what I do is I go to the gym, work out for like five hours. I mean, so we utilize what we have access to, um, hopefully to that works best, but oftentimes we just utilize what we have access to. So if I had PCP around me and I was really having a hard time and I was in pain and I did not want to exist the way I was existing, I would utilize whatever coping skills I had, whatever coping mechanisms I have. So absolutely. That makes sense. And just so everyone knows, this dude deadlifts close to 800 pounds squats over 600 it was crazy strong so it's clear that you you spent a lot of time up in there i mean and it's it's important to to know that the reason why i work out so hard is because i have like a lot of pain a lot of anger a lot of hurt a lot of trauma i um, mean it's yeah. really important for me to have a space where i can go and just work on me like yeah. as a black man as a bigger black man like it's it's not easy to have space where i can go and just yell like yeah. if I need to, I'm um, oftentimes I'm quiet, but you know, where I could go and yell, where I can work on myself, when I have to serve other people, or I can just have a space where my brain can process. I also mm -hmm. have ADHD. And so um, I've been unmedicated for two and a half years. I finished my doctoral program, my comprehensive exams, writing my dissertation, creating a documentary, um, uh, like without taking amphetamines that I've been on for 20 years, um, because I needed to compete in drug tested powerlifting i don't use steroids and stuff like that i don't use performance enhancing drugs and i was like my coach said hey man you're not gonna be able to compete that way and i was like all right so i stopped right then and there um and it was incredible it's really a miracle that i'm a doctor at this point it's a miracle that i do anything but it's definitely a miracle because i grew up my whole life being told that if i didn't take my medication i wouldn't be able to focus or do anything um, 
it very much became a part of my personality rather than something that was supposed to assist me. So how do you how do you cope? You you've been on the medication for so long. How does it affect you to not be on the medication? Yeah, uh, you know the I would say the worst thing about stimulants about um, amphetamines, um, prescription amphetamines, but probably amphetamines as well um, is the withdrawal. For six days, I felt loopy. I felt weak. I felt like a, a wet noodle. Like I was hardly able. I was so tired. Um, I was so hungry, like all of these very real um, experiences of withdrawal. And then I got stronger. And then I, I was able to focus. It, it was just, just like, it cleared up my mind because what amphetamines do, I was on Concerta extended release. Um, mm -hmm. What they do when you have ADHD is they also make you hyper-focused. Um, and so not only was all the things that I needed to focus on in focus and even more so, but the fear, the abandonment, the trauma, the terror. I mean, I was doing community organizing as a Black Lives Matter chapter leader in Lawrence. All of that death threats, all of that stuff was um, intensified tenfold. Um, mm. And so the way I dealt with it is I just lived. Like I stopped trying to they call it masking. I stopped trying to mask my ADHD symptoms and embraced who I was as somebody that's not broken, but just different. And would you, would you suggest that for other people? Or is that something that you're like, nah, you need to, you need to handle that in a different way. Like, that's just something that works for you. Maybe. What do you think? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of doctor as a therapist. What I would recommend is um, very much for people to consider individual basis, your support systems, um, uh, and things like that before you try. Generally, going cold turkey on things is not <laughs> awesome. Um, it can be super dangerous with alcohol um, when you're, when you're like, a, have a dependence on it. It can be super dangerous and scary, uh, open, like all kinds of other substances. For me, um, ADHD also makes me a very concrete thinker. So it was like, my brain was like, yo, Negro, like, do it or don't this is it make a choice and i was like i decided in the gym when my coach sent me a message i was like i'm done man i it's expensive extremely expensive you have to get really in, good insurance for the insurance to cover cover these level two uh like i don't know what they're calling narcotics or something like that. it's a controlled substance and i was just tired of being scared that if I forgot my medication, I wouldn't be able to function. Like it's a very real fear of, of not being able to help other people or be available for other people. I mean, I'm a helping professional. What happens if I were to fail? What happens if I would have flunked out of my program? Because I said, you know what? This is not important enough. I'm out. Mm. Man, I have a bunch of questions now. Mm. You know, I, I really don't know what ADHD is like I do I know what the letters mean but I don't know how that affects you on a daily basis I'm sure it's different for everyone but like what do you have to deal with yeah um so ADHD is an understimulation of your brain um so your brain's constantly craving um dopamine serotonin things like that like the happy stimulating parts um and so that's why you see people with ADHD do so much um, and get distracted by so much because our brain is literally starving for stimulation. Um, mm. And so for me, uh, don't they, the best example I have for me is the more things that are going on in the room and 
with me, the better I am able to focus. So like when I write, when I wrote papers, when I wrote my dissertation, um, I would have piano music playing. I would have a candle lit, very specific smell. Um, I would have like um, somebody on FaceTime that was there, like my editor, <clears throat> and I would just be typing. Um, and what ADHD also does is that you either focus on nothing forever or you hyper-focus forever. So I would write for like six hours at a time, but I would spend like a whole day just staring at the screen being like, what, what's wrong with me? Um, because we get, we get stuck in um, the stress of beginning tasks, um, of feeling overwhelmed by things. Um, and so it's a really difficult spot uh, to be in. One of the other facets of ADHD is like, um, is something called uh, rejection, like a fear, it's a very intense fear of rejection. I forget the specific acronym, um, but it's like when you fail as somebody with ADHD, not everybody has it that has ADHD, um, but there is an intense and traumatic fear response and failure response to not being able to connect with people. So if I do something and it's not good enough for somebody else, <clears throat> the, the response is very visceral and real in your body. And so, you know, as a helping professional, as somebody that um, I was also teaching when I was in this, in the doctoral program, like really in there for our people, um, it was yeah. terrifying, honestly. <clears throat> so no, would I recommend that people do what I did? Hell no. Would I do this again? <laughs> Uh, the program? No. Uh, would I make different choices if I didn't feel like I was so alienated and broken on my life? Perhaps. Um, I would like to think that I'd still be helpful, but, um, you know, masking in general is something that's, uh, that's really normal for people that have ADHD or just, or OCD or autism, <clears throat> you know, people are on the spectrum. I mean, like trying to adhere to neurotypicality, like people that don't have mental illness, um, is something that society forces us into. Hmm, that makes sense. Um, I was going to ask you something. I don't know if you're qualified to answer, but I mean, I think I told you this already, but I wanted to know how we can prevent addiction. If you know things yeah. that you can do to prevent addiction. That's a really, a really, really important question. And the answer is this, we use because we're hurting. Trauma is the root of all of these things. We're trying to cope um, to make ourselves, and rightfully so, not feel what we're feeling, to be able to get out of situations that oftentimes are completely out of our control. Um, and so I'm a trauma and healing-based therapist. So at the beginning, um, before I learned, I was trauma-based, right? Trauma-focused, very white, you know, things like that. Very, very white, inundated with uh, kind of psychology stuff, as in people are problems and stuff like that. And as I learned, I became a healing focused therapist as well, because I think it's really traumatic and trifling to uncover and sit with people in a trauma and not help them to move into healing. Um, you know, as much time as you need for trauma and to sit in that and sit through, absolutely. And also to attach healing and hope to it is really essential, especially for Black people. Like we already have epigenetic trauma, it's in our DNA. Um, we're more prone to have anxiety, heart disease, like all of these things um, that come from chattel slavery and uh, manifest in, in all kinds of different ways. Um, but 
like if it's trauma, like it's it's trauma, yeah. addressing trauma, addressing things that hurt, um, help us to make empowered decisions uh, rather than decisions that we're just like, well, I'm just doing that because like this is going to help me get through the day, which makes sense and is not bad. Like I get it, right? If, yeah. if I was feeling some kind of way and I didn't have the gym, like when COVID hit, so many people were struggling. I'm sure suicide went up huge exponentially, just like intimate partner violence went up because mm-hmm. people were trapped in the house with people. But like, man, I I don't know. Like suicidality is not something I deal with on a regular basis with myself. But, you know, maybe I would have wanted to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Um, because that's how I cope. Right. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's tough. I mean, I really don't have any problems, but COVID was it was rough, man. That shit was yeah. boring just sitting around all day like. It just wasn't, it wasn't a good time. So I can only imagine if you're already dealing with stuff and, and then you have to just sit there all day. You know? Right. And then try to make connections. And then you're like, okay, all right, all right I'm going to get in the therapy bed. All right, cool. They're doing telehealth. Absolutely. And then trying to connect with somebody through a screen um, that does not have people skills um, mm. and isn't able to connect with uh, who you are and also is telling you that the things you're doing is wrong. Like therapists are trash. We we have to admit when we're wrong and that's why um whatever questions you ask me like if i don't know i'm gonna say i don't know like and Mm -hmm. it's so important because how is my ego gonna be the thing preventing you from working towards healing that's tragic you're paying me what is that it's like if somebody came to you as a client and you couldn't serve them like if they were i don't know what the extent of your qualifications are but if it was too much or just you weren't able to do it you weren't qualified and you didn't tell them that and you keep kept working with them wow that's yeah. not ethical right 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 so no, I, I deal with that i deal with that um when people want to do like legitimate bodybuilding shows i'll tell them you know go to someone that really puts people on stage you know if you're just trying to improve your physique and stuff like that that's cool but i'm like there's there's actual coaches that'll get you on stage like i'm not going to pretend like I'm very good at that because I'm not, you know, so I'm not going to take your money just for no reason. So I get that. But speaking of uh, answering or not answering questions that you don't know, you know, we got these these questions from Twitter that we have to answer, bro. So this first one, (laughs) if the true intent of drug counseling is to help people, then why does it cost so much money? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the war on drugs, uh, because people don't fund uh, things that actually help people, and they also don't create funded programs that are actually geared towards um, empowerment and help, uh, rather pointing people towards things that are usually punitive, um, as in people get in trouble, go to uh, like uh, treatment centers or something like that, and then if they if they fuck up one time, it's over. Like then they get reported and go to jail, like they get violated or something like that. I mean, it's absolutely just like therapy, <clears throat> absolutely a tool of white supremacy as well um, and control. Like, yeah, for sure. And that's why I am on private practice. Can't nobody tell me what to do or how to treat people or things like that. As long as I'm uh, within the ethics of liberation and things like that, and I'm upfront with my clients about it, um, that's what I'm going to do because people deserve to be advocated for uh it's absolutely i mean that's not even a a hard question uh addiction and programs uh that are truly helpful 
don't have any continuity to it because it doesn't give money back. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it, they don't be like, oh, 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 you got, oh, you got better. Mm. Well, that means that maybe my services run out. You know, and people can say whatever they want um, about. Now nah, that's not true. This, well, uh, when we stop treating addiction uh, like a, a personal choice and start treating it like a public health uh, thing, just like racism and anti-blackness we will we will see some progress but until you stop treating people like problems then they, they're gonna have people fucked up always mm, i respect it good answer okay last one what's the best method for addressing the op- opioid crisis absolutely it goes back to uh trauma treatment uh having actual qualified skilled workers workers that look like us and that have funding right that have the actual time, aren't burned out and have the funding to sit with people through their actual trauma. That's the only way I know. I mean, obviously giving money to, you know, communities that the government and shit like this has stolen forever, you know, uh, mm-hmm. redlining, blah, blah, stuff like that. Um, but the reality is that if we address the root of things, like actually the root of things, it would be incredible how empowered people would be because, I mean, believe it or not, I would say 99% of people don't actually want to make other people's lives harder or their own lives. Yeah. Uh, and so there are certainly exceptions, people that are absolute pieces of shit, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And those people don't care about people, people that are narcissistic, have narcissistic personality disorder, not just people that that are like, you run around and you're like, ah, ah that's a narcissist, shit like that, without knowing the qualifications, like actual people that are sociopaths and narcissistic personality disorder folks um and antisocial folks but like that's a huge generalization right yeah most people want to do better don't want to be in pain and want to be able to be happy yeah. and so acting like people don't want to do that is ridiculous and it's super problematic you can't look at somebody that's struggling with addiction and be like shit when i mean you play 10 hours of video games a day or <laughs> You spend, you're gambling all your money away. Oh, behavioral addiction. Like, or you can't stop looking, uh, you can't stop looking at porn and it's fucking with your life. Uh, like all of these things can be problems. Um, yeah. And when we look at people as problems, what we start doing is just like with people that use the Bible to justify all kinds of problematic shit. Then we start picking and choosing what's a problem and what's not. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cannabis was a problem until it was legalized. And then... It becomes right. something that's like, what's well, good? Yeah. <laughs> see, it's not sneaky. It's just money. Like, yeah. and, we, and we see the way these system, this systemic oppressions work and really fuck with the people that are hurting. It's so predatory and it's so problematic. That's a great answer, man. You're a smart dude. I just be working with my mouth sometimes, man. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm trying to get on your level, man. I need to read some more books. Yeah, I'm not there. That's yet. all you what are you talking about? You are you a lifelong learner. Learn Spanish in like a half a year. Like hey, you're okay. I'll be trying to learn, but so I'm saying I need to get on your level, bro. It's amazing. I'm super, I'm super proud of you because while we are very different, the reality is that we both care about <clears throat> pouring back into people that want it like in that deserve it and um, i think for me specifically with black folks and just marginalized people in general like we deserve so much more than we have the funding for i Mm. mean we have no infrastructure we got nothing 
And here we are just being incredible and defying all of the odds and also being tired as fuck. And so if people are tired as fuck, then they deserve to be able to get the things they need. Um, yeah. And so that's the goal, right? Um, is to be able to provide people with something that will help to empower them because people are trying as hard as they can with whatever they have. I believe that. Yeah. Um, and just because people piss me off sometimes doesn't mean they're not trying. It just means that I might not be able to serve them um, mm. directly. I might be able to fund them some money. I might be able to point them towards different networks, but that's the, that's the goal is to build and be able to network so that people can get what they deserve and what they need. I respect that. All right, man, before we get out of here, what's your, uh, what's your mission statement, man? What are you all about? If you had to sum yourself up in a sentence or so. Right. Well, my dissertation was uh, talking about creating black positive self-image. Um, if I can help people to, to create authentic and intentional identity um, and to be able to tell people, hey, this is, that's not who I am. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. and I think that, that I will have done a good job. I love it. I'm going to put your social media information in the description. And I'm, I don't know, did you ever publicize that, that, uh, that dissertation? I don't remember if you um, I haven't published the dissertation. The documentary I'm submitting to film festivals, and if you publish it publicly, then a lot of them won't accept it. So I have to mm. leave. Um, but you, you'll be the first one to get it because you were okay. in it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was going to say, if it's out, I'll put it in the description, but we'll have to wait for that. But uh, yeah, I'll put your information in there if y'all want to follow the doctor. He's a really smart dude and he lifts heavy weights. Actually, um, I have a deal. You can put the link to my shirts um, that are up for sale because I, I said a while back that if you buy a shirt, then I'll send you the link to the documentary. Mm, okay. Then I'll put the link for the shirts. Just uh, send me that once we get finished with this. I'll put your information in the description. And anybody that wants to buy it and watch the documentary, you know what to do. All right, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We wrapped it up before 1 p.m. Center of the Universe time. Man, that's so tragic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me stop recording real fast. Thanks for being on the show, man. Hold on one second. Oh... <laughs> uh...